Hello and welcome back to the Communique on Lunk Radio. It is March 28th, 2009. I am your host, as usual, Jackson Meredith, and I am joined by... Brian. Andrew. Monty. And we want to do something a little bit different than usual today. We would like to discuss, have a little discussion about the core values of this, of this Lunk project that we are in the midst of here. Now, Brian has been probably the chief architect in trying to put our values into uh, into print, into this sort of key points document he's been working on, so we're just going to kind of let him introduce these ideas. This document is supposed to define our organization, um, what we're really standing for, and um, we've started with four points that um, we could all agree on. and th- These weren't all worded by me. Everyone in the group had some help in forming these points. But um, the first one that we, we stated was uh, economic and social equality for all people. Um, and what we mean by that is that all people should be entitled to equal treatment uh, have equal access to uh, resources and health care, equal opportunities, and equal respect for, for their human rights. Now, originally that just said equality. Why why is that mutated into a much more verbose version? I'm kind of forgetting some of the history of this. Yeah, well, I mean, equality is, is sort of a platitude that's kind of thrown around. I mean, if you look at the United States Constitution, it, there's... All men are created equal. That would be the Declaration of Independence. Or the Declaration of Independence. Uh, and uh, we wanted to be more definitive and um, actually define what we mean by equality. And not just uh, kind of this, this vague sense that, um, you know, everyone is, is equal, but that we're also entitled to equal treatment. And um, I... I think, and everyone else in the group also thinks that everyone should be uh, have equal opportunities, and and uh, basically what we're, what we're talking about is a, an egalitarian society where where there's not this class structure and where uh, people are defined, their worth is defined based on how much money they make. We're talking about a society of equals. So, so basically, um, we're talking about a society that would be much different from the one that we have now. Um, in there, we, we state equal access to resources and health care. Now, we can compare that to the society that we live in now. Do, do individuals in our society have equal access to uh, resources and and healthcare things like that. The obvious answer is that they don't. They uh, there's a lot of people that have to avoid seeking medical treatment because they don't have insurance or they can't afford to go seek medical treatment. Um, resources people obviously are not afforded equal access to resources in our society. Some people have to go without many things that other more privileged people take for granted. So here's a question for you, though. What does our belief in equality have to do with how the group is structured? How does that relate? Yeah, it's, it's also important for the structure of the group. We consider ourselves equals. We don't have a structure within our group. We don't have a hierarchy. We, uh, we're, we're all leaders. We, we take the lead from time to time. And... Um, you know, everyone's a part of the decision-making process. Everyone has equal say. There's no president. There's no CEO. Um, it's just, uh, you know, we we function together as a group, and and we don't uh, we don't have any designated leader. I'm going to take you back to a point, and you said that. The idea is to have uh, an egalitarian society, a society where people have equal opportunity and rights. 
And you also said a classless society, but I think we need to define what a classless society is if we're going to use this term. Yeah. Um, Go ahead. Somebody. <laughs> well, well, class is... Our society is stratified into classes. There's uh, two main classes. There's the, the owning class or the ruling class that that um, have ownership of what is required to provide, to, to produce. And then you have the working class, which is the class that the only way that they can survive is to sell their, their labor to the owning class um, in order to, uh, to live, to, to meet their necessities. And, and um, ideally, a, a, uh, what we were striving for is a society without those classes, without... Um, where everyone was equal, we, we shared the resources and we shared the the means of production, the factories, the hospitals, the the businesses, all everything that that is uh, that produces for human need. Those would be shared equally by by everyone. I think we can probably naturally segue here into revolutionary change. Uh, yeah, the, all of these points that we're discussing would require revolutionary changes in, in the way that society is structured. Um, and uh, actually, you can segue from that back into participatory democracy if you want to talk about how revolutionary changes can be brought about. And um, the obvious one is to have people actually involved in society, involved in making decisions, and instead of relying upon other people to to make decisions for them. Well, really, when we're coming to the idea of having a society without class, it's a revolutionary idea that every person has the right to control their life and what they want to do with it, and what part they want to play in society, rather than having it dictated in a top-down model. And that's essentially... I would say what we would like to change. Yeah, I'm, our current structure is that every every four years you get to pick which dictator is going to uh, run your life and, and and run the country. And really, I mean, look at the decisions that we get to make um, with our vote. We don't we don't actually make any decisions. We we select people that are supposed to be. Um, Representatives, but but do they represent us? And if they if they don't represent the people, are they are they recallable? Are they impeachable? If they do not, and they they aren't really. I mean, if you look at the the last president, uh, President Bush. Most of the Americans didn't support the war, the Iraq War, but uh, you know he's no longer representing the uh, the great majority of the people, but he's still in power, and that's that's the way it is. I mean, it's almost impossible to recall these uh, representatives. And I, I think that um, a better structure would be to actually allow the people to make the decisions. And, um, of course, there would be times where y you may need to elect a representative to represent uh, your your community or, or your community. Uh, your your state, but uh, you would um, you would select those people, and then they would be recallable if they were if they were not uh, supporting what the people wanted. So uh, again, I'll I'll, re I'll sort of repeat the question I asked for the first yeah. section on equality. What what is the idea? How does the idea of participatory democracy relate to? the nuts and bolts work of our organization. Well, that's that's also how, you know, part of uh, what we're doing is trying to be the ideal that we want. We, uh, we want to make uh, ourselves a model for the change we'd like to see. And within the group, all decisions that, that affect us, that affect the group, are, are democratically-based decisions where everyone has equal say and um, you know it, it that that is can you know it 
it's not necessarily expedient. There's a lot of people that argue that you know you really can't get anything done if you're relying upon this this idea of direct democracy. But uh, you know those organizations aren't necessarily re representative of their members, and these are organizations that are ran by. Uh, you know, they're basically an oligarchy where you have a few people running an organization. I mean, we want we want an organization that represents us and represents our beliefs. And, you know, when we disagree, we try to come to a consensus. We try to make appeasements to others, compromises where we can reach a decision that um, most people in the group can agree on. And I would even say we don't have to make a lot of compromise. We discuss things, and generally we can come to a reasonable consensus. Yeah. Um, I would actually cast doubt on the idea that a democracy takes a great deal more work than a dictatorship. I actually think a dictatorship means that every person underneath the leader has to fall in line, which is a great deal of work. And as far as uh, organizing... You're taught from the day you're born to seek out authority and to uh, live under that model. If people were taught to actually look and understand what other people's needs are and where other people are coming from, not only would that greatly increase the efficiency of democracy, but it would be a, an, an over, overall more functional society, which is the issue here when we're talking about ease of doing something what is it the ease of doing? If you're not accomplishing anything, what is the point of an organization? And I think that goes back to what Brian said, is we want to be the sort of organization that we would like to see uh, reflect a better society. Well, Andrew just dropped the C word in there a minute ago, that's consensus. And that was sort of the question I had, we're talking about you know, a, d a democratic structure to the organization. I mean, do we operate? I mean, I've, I've fielded this question from activists before. Do we make all of our decisions by consensus, or is there a provision for more of a majority rule for some things? Uh, if there is a more contentious matter in the group? Usually when that happens, I mean, we've always resolved those things by, like Andrew said, discussing it. And usually we can come to a decision that, uh, you know, it may not be... Uh, what I ideally wanted or what somebody else ideally wanted but it, it can be um, there can be compromises made where you know I'm satisfied it wasn't exactly what I wanted but uh, it's close enough that uh, I'm not going to be um, angry about it and uh, I think that's a lot of, a lot of organizations that organize the, their their uh, structure in this way that that's you know, that's just part of the reality of it. You have to come to compromises. Not every everyone is not always going to agree, and that's not what we, we would want. We wouldn't want any sort of group dogma, where you know you have to think this way. And we want a diversity of opinion. We want to hear everybody's side, and um, you know hear everybody's input on something, really think things through, and then come to a decision based on that. I mean, it's just the, the old adage that. Uh, you know, two heads is better than one, and if you have a, a bunch of different views and opinions being expressed, I mean, we're gonna we're gonna receive more input, become more knowledgeable about something, and we're gonna be able to make better decisions. I think it's an important point to make that in a dictatorial group, uh, most of the people are going to be unsatisfied in a sense from the decisions; they just simply have no say. But in a democracy, one of the problems I see is that when people have a say, they want to have an amount of control. So you have a sort of a competition often for people having control over an organization. But I think, like Jackson pointed out, the idea is to sort of come to a consensus and keep in mind what everyone wants to achieve and be more cooperative than competitive. Imagine, imagine a community ran in this way where... Uh, people would actually meet, decide how they wanted their neighborhoods orga organized, how they wanted the resources allocated, all of these things, and imagine how much more efficient it would be. I mean, right now you have so many people just disgruntled, pissed off at the government, pissed off, because they don't feel like they have any say. You know, there's all these opinions. Everyone is... Uh, 
is polarized. Everyone feels, you know, they've accepted the dogma of this party's uh, rhetoric. They've accepted this, but it's really, they, they just become lost in this labyrinth of, of party dogma when they're not really actually talking about anything anymore. They're not talking about, uh, you know, how we should make our, our laws and how we should come to, to decisions. And, and um, it just, it just, you know, it seems more complicated at first, but to me it's more simple. If, if people are actually having a say instead of relying on these other people, these, uh, these often wealthy people that use their power and influence to to gain uh, power and, and leadership roles in society. Well, you might call aristocrats or people who only really have a sort of function of controlling others. Yeah. I, I want to go back to this idea of consensus. We haven't really decided a lot of things like this in a formal way. We've just sort of been more establishing a precedent in a very yeah. organic, informal kind of way. And, yeah, I mean, we've, we've sort of established decisions within the, the Lunt group thus far, largely on the basis of consensus, and a lot of particularly anarchist groups really insist on keeping it that way. Yeah. But isn't it true, though, I mean, has consensus been easy for us to this point because we are a small, relatively undiverse group. Yeah, cause I would say so. I think that uh, consensus decisions for us have been relatively easy because we're we're what you would consider an, an affinity group, where uh, a few uh, or more uh, like-minded activists get together to focus on certain goals, and often these people do um, feel or, or have very similar opinions. So, yeah, that, that makes it easier for us. It would be a more uh, labored process, I think, if there was more diversity of thought within our group. And that would be something that, um, uh, a challenge that would, would uh, arise in any, any situation where there is participatory democracy. But I, I still, I think that, that it's a more... Uh, it's a better method for deriving um, decisions and implementing things that, that are going to actually help people than just having a representative who's basically already biased. He already has his own agenda, and then he's supposed, he or she is supposed to... Uh, to, to, to consider what the, their constituents are telling them when, I mean, if you look at the reality, that doesn't often happen. These people go into office with their certain label, Democrat, Republican, whatever their label is, and they stick to that dogma. 90, 90% of the time, they're not going to change them. Well, they have their own interests yeah. to begin with. Well, I think we could just, I think that's kind of a dead horse, and we'll just be beating on that. I don't think anyone's really arguing on behalf of representative democracy here. So I think we can just kind of close that door and, I mean, look at more of these principles. I mean, this well, not, not within our group, but I think it's within, you know, our culture, our society. People, a lot of people think that we live in a democracy. And uh, it's, it's really not that cut and dried. I mean, there's elements of... of of uh, fascism, there's there's uh, all sorts of our authoritarian elements to our government. People are not really that informed when they uh, when they're saying that this is a democracy that we live in, because if you, if you were asking, it's a republic. Of, technically, that's what it would be referred to as as a republic, a representative democracy. But really, how much say do people, the people in this country actually have. Well, they, I would say, have say on, like you said, electing their leaders and possibly some local issues. But when it comes to things that are extremely socially important, like how much control uh, the workers have or what they're able to do, how much of their money is going to war and killing people, uh, various political issues that have a huge effect across the country, people really don't have any say in whatsoever. But you do have a choice on what you want to buy with your dollar and that sort of consumer voting. I think people really get relegated to make 
making a lot of decisions that ultimately don't have a large effect on their life, the more important something is, the less likely it's going to go to a vote, as far as I can tell. Yeah, like, like Emma Goldman said, she said that if, if voting actually changed anything, they would make it illegal. <laughs> but, I mean, suppose we had something important as a group that we wanted to work on. I mean, I think, I think you're right to sort of label us as an affinity group at this point, Brian. Yeah. But I, I, I know at least I, for one, am really dissatisfied with the affinity group model of organization because it's really far too content to be just a small little mosquito pecking at the system. Yeah. I mean, I think we're really more interested in building a larger, more powerful organization with many more people involved in it. And that necessarily... And particularly, I mean, for something that requires certain technical skills, like building a radio station with a, you know, diverse interactive website, we need, we need allies. We need people with certain skill sets, and that sort of, it broadens the, the range of ideologies that we have to work with, too. Yeah, I think eventually as this group grows... Um, I think we kind of call ourselves a collective of sorts, but uh, as we grow and, and more people become involved, I think that we will see more diversity of thought. I mean, we're all basically of the uh, small L libertarian socialist type of thought, the anarchist uh, thought, but I, I think that we'll we'll have other people coming to our organization that don't necessarily... Uh, share the same ideals as we do and um, I think that uh, that that's one of the important things about making this document is that it's kind of a, a defining document we don't want to be subverted or, or co-opted by people that want to dilute our message or change what we really stand for I mean it's, it's a charter, basically. It's uh, showing our intention and what we want to do with our group and what we want it to be. And, I, and I'm sure a lot of people would, would think that, uh, you know, that's really authoritarian for you to to, to bar certain people from, from trying to change the group. And But, I mean, that's this is common. This is any group that exists. It's going to have a defining document. It's going to have... Uh, some sort of definition of what the group stands for, and it's basically just protecting what the group is about. Um, sure, we'll let other people help get involved and help out and uh, and be involved in the decision-making process. I mean, that's what we're about, but we, we just want to have a group that's defined in some way where you know the goals that we set out to accomplish are not um, changed or... or, or our original message and intent isn't isn't subverted. Yeah. Well, let, let's let's get concrete here. Let's mm -hmm. get specific. Something that's particularly been a minor issue for us already to this point is we've we've come across a couple of activists who've been very interested in what we do, who are also intricately tied up with the Democratic Party, yeah. who I think everyone at this table sees as really the enemy of yeah. progressive change. Now, I mean, how does this work? I mean, does does someone representing the Democratic Party get an equal vote at our table? I would say I would say yes, but that's that's the importance of this document that we're actually still working on. Um, is that it will define the organization so Democratic Party members can't flood the group and say you know, we're going to go this direction, you know, then we would say, no, this group has started based on these principles, and this is really not in line with what we're about. Uh, basically, the purpose of our organization and the radio station and, you know, what we also hope to do in the future with uh, other forms of media, like television and, and print and and other things, but but uh, basically we're we're an independent media group, and we want to give a voice to an underrepresented uh, view, an underrepresented 
point of view in, in our culture. It, if you if you watch television, if you watch any of the major networks, you're gonna you're gonna hear plenty of the Democratic Party side. You're gonna hear plenty of the Republican side. You're gonna hear even the Big L Libertarian, the uh, the basically the, the right wing uh, individualist, yeah, anti government right wing side. You're gonna hear all of those viewpoints. All those all those viewpoints are represented. Um, to an extent, the Libertarian Party of the United States doesn't get as much play as the, the Democrats and the Republicans. But all these points of view have their outlets. They have, you know, pundits that um, all over the radio spectrum. They have pundits on television. They have uh, commentators in the in the print. They have, uh, you know, the op-ed section is full of Democratic Party and Republic Republican Party writers. With the left, though. And this is, I should say by the left, I mean socialists and the anarchists uh, talking about uh, the actual not left, not the, the left that the, you know, the Republicans claiming that Barack Obama is a communist and, and calling the Democratic Party the left when actually they're, they're, centri they're a centrist party. Um, I think you mean anti-authoritarian left. Yeah. Even in, even, in, even in the socialist or anarchist left, there's a lot of, you know... Yeah, and, and this, there's a lot of socialists and, and communists that would be um, authoritarian. So yeah, it, it would be better to say anti-authoritarian left. Um, yeah, you, you're you're not. We don't have a lot of uh, means for getting our our views out there, and that's that's the goal of this this project is to give that that side a voice. To go back, kind of to Jackson's question, I think. The thing here is that we wouldn't want anyone to be a part of the group if they weren't a radical leftist, if they weren't uh, going trying to achieve some of the same goals as we are. Now, if someone had some sort of affiliation with the Democratic Party or some interest in them, that would be one thing. But if they were basically just uh, going for the for the same interests of the Democratic Party, I don't think that that would really be something we'd want to be a part of as a group. And what does well, that mean? The interests of the Democratic Party? Yeah, what does it means it mean? if, somebody, if somebody came along and said, hey, we should, we should become associated with the Democratic Party, that, that would be counter to the fundamental nature yeah. of the group in the first place. It would be like, you know, I don't... Going into a Star Trek club and turning into a Star Wars club. <laughs> I, I, I want to make I want to make it clear that um, I mean we're not necessarily barring individuals that su have supported the Democratic Party or worked with the Democratic Party. Actually, if you look at a lot of the activists that um, are surrounding the Democratic Party, have worked for the Democratic Party. I mean, a lot of these people are actually further left of what the Democratic Party line is. If you look at what the Democratic Party line is what they do when they're actually in office. I mean, it's very centrist to right. I mean, if you look at what Obama's doing right now, it's, it's very centrist. Uh, but, but a lot of the people that are involved in the Democratic Party actually are more radical, and I think a lot of those individuals would actually want to come to us and, and want to, um, you know, especially once they start to realize that the Democratic Party isn't representing their interests, they may want to get on there and criticize the Democratic Party and um, call them out, call them out on some of these promises that they gave up on and some of these, uh, uh, well, you know, especially during campaigning, they're making all these great promises, talking about equality, talking about ending the war. And if you look at history, look at Democratic presidents, and, and look at the mistake that a lot of leftists have made in myself included, voting for them when, you know, historically, you know, they don't end the war. They say they will, and then they don't. Well, I'm going to take a little bit of issue with your wording, what you said, uh, giving up on their promises. That uh, sort of assumes that they ever intended to live up to their promises in the beginning. Obama's just coming into office here, and already he's saying he's going to leave the majority of the troops in Iraq. He's not even trying to... Uh, majorly change anything or live up to any of his campaign promises. He's just not doing it. He didn't even really make any promises. He, I mean, he, well, he went off and he sort of said, like, change is coming, yada, yada. He didn't actually... I would, even though I don't particularly 
I mean, maybe somebody could clarify, but because I don't pay much attention because I hate everything, but I haven't paid, again, I haven't paid much attention to Obama or his campaign, but the attention I have paid to it, I haven't seen him actually say anything. Yeah, I mean... Policy-wise. If you look at politicians, I mean, these people are essentially experts at duping people. They're experts at using vague language. In, in hollow language, I mean, they they'll use uh, you know platitudes, but they won't uh, they won't actually mean it. They're just trying to garner support, and uh, I mean, they've duped a lot of these people that are very much for change, very much for seeing a, a more fair society, for seeing an end to wars, um, an end to torture, and things like that. They they, I mean, the Democratic Party has been an expert at. Uh, drawing these people in, getting them behind them, and then once they're in power, they continue to represent businesses, they continue to represent corporations, and they're not actually representing their base, their their constituents. Just going to break in and interrupt here. We are at the halfway point wow. of the program. We You are listening to the communique on Lunk Radio, and we're discussing some of our core values behind this this collective group of ours. I do kind of want to sidetrack the conversation, though, because we rant about politicians in the Democratic Party every week. I really want to keep it more focused on how we would attempt to coexist in a principled way with supporters of the Democratic Party. Well, I, I think that... Um, I, I really do think that a lot of these people do share, share a lot of our views. And um, they, they've just been sidetracked by, you know, believing in these 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 representatives, deifying them, thinking they're going to be our our Messiah, think they're going to save us from all these problems. But in reality, you know, these people are are not representing the people. These are wealthy individuals, and they're representing the business interests and. Well, as as you listen to them, I, I can't stand to listen to Obama, for example. You listen to him for 15 minutes and he maybe makes one talking point. The speeches they give are meaningless. Bush would talk about how we're not going to torture people as we're torturing people. Yeah. Um, it The whole electoral game mean, it means nothing. It's a bunch of lies and posturing. Well, Ob Obama did do that stimulus thing. I, I guess that's following up with what he said he was going to do. <laughs> giving people a small appeasement. And I, I suppose that sort of defines the radical difference here. We're not advocating appeasement of people or a nice, uh, more humane form of capitalism. Uh, we're advocating a revolutionary change, just changing society to meet people's needs. So society will actually run for people's needs rather than uh, having most of the people just get along so the people on top can coast along and exploit the people below uh, them. I don't think it has to do so much with whether or not someone supports the Democratic Party or even I would even I would go so far as to say support anyone, Republicans or Libertarians or whatever, but it has more to do with whether or not they they understand what we're doing and support that also. Even even though even though there's a possibility for some there's a possibility for some hypocrisy there because, I mean, you're supporting one thing but, and on the other hand you're supporting someone, a group of people whose ideology is that the former should not exist, but there, there, there's, there's room there, I think, for be, being able to agree with an ideology. Yeah. Here's a question. Do we, do we have an open membership to our group? Uh, I would say yes, as long as, with the caveat of yes, we do, but you have to um, you have to agree with our core principles. I would have to say. I mean, if well, here, you, if you don't, I don't know why you would want to be yeah, involved in the group. That's what I was about to say. <laughs> if if you don't, I mean, the whole reason we're doing this is is to be able to tell you people what what we are about and what we're doing. And really, if you don't if you don't agree with us or don't like us, I don't know why you would want to have anything to do with us anyway. Yeah. Okay, well, here's the thing. 
suppose there's just a, a hypothetical activist who wants to get involved with our group, and there's, you know, there's certainly a lot of people out there who will say something like, well, you know, socialism sounds great in theory. I'd love to have it. You know, anarchism, sure, that'd be great in theory, but, you know, we have to be pragmatic. We have to be realistic. Now, suppose we have someone who, you know, says they sign on to our program, and in practice, when they get on their air show, I mean, they want to endorse Democratic Party politicians because it's the pragmatic thing to do. I mean, do we... Do we tolerate partisan endorsements? I would say no, because there's plenty of outlets for the Democratic Party. I mean, if they want to get on the air and talk about the Democratic Party, they can they can go to any major media outlet, and you know they can they can listen to the pundits that are already existing out there. They can get on KZUM and talk about it. They can, you know, they. <laughs> yeah, it's but this, but such a person could still hypothetically sign on to this this program we're adapting, at least this version of it. I mean, how do you how do you draw the line? Well, and I, is it I really an open membership if we're drawing a line somewhere? Well, it, it, I guess it, you know you could look at it both ways. It's just with any other organization, like they're going to have a definition, a defining document, or a defining principle. And it, it, if, we're, if we're talking about one of our core principles being participatory democracy, I mean, participatory democracy isn't electing a party representative. It's not electing uh, Bill Clinton or, or whoever to represent you. It's it's actually making the decision. It's actually having a say in what your community, what your your country. Andrew is chomping at the bit to get in now. <laughs> well, I I do think we have to take a look at what open open membership means because every group has some sort of standards, and I do think it's true what you say that people can try to subvert standards, and that's one of the things that. I would say we're primarily concerned with is people getting in the group and trying to change what we're trying to accomplish or trying to make the group more mainstream to fit a certain sort of interest that people may have rather than the broad social uh, change that we want our group to have. We don't want it to be narrowed down to a small interest group or changed uh, to be a mainstream group to fit within niches that already exist. We don't, we don't want to happen to our group what happened to KZUM. We don't want... Uh, and what happened to KZUM? Well... You want to just give, this a, brief, should give this, a brief history. This is a project that was uh, pretty much r Rush... Or <laughs> Ron Kurtenbach. <laughs> I almost said Rush Limbaugh. Ron Kurtenbach. Cut that out, by the way. <laughs> that Ron Kurtenbach uh, started. I mean, this was his idea... Um, and he wanted it to be, wasn't it supposed to be like a left-based, um, anti-war type, uh... Sort of community station. Yeah. Basically. A and version of what we're doing. Yeah. You can yeah. you can hear more about that in the actual Ron Kurtenbach interview. And I would <laughs> say it had sort of a focus on the arts. It was something he was interested in. But the station was a eventually co-opted by more business-friendly, mainstream, yeah. left-liberal sort of interests. Yeah. And that's the sort of thing. I mean, Ron put in a, a ton of work in this, and like he says, was the only person to show up to meetings and uh, was participatory and put a huge amount of work into creating this group, and then it's just uh, big businesses and people with affiliations towards the Democratic Party just swoop in and and gobble up other people's labor and other people's work to create something. Yeah, and if you look at it now, I mean, there's advertisements for community businesses and things like that, and um, it's, it's not really a community service, I wouldn't say. It's, I mean, it's there for for anyone to, but I mean, do you hear, I mean, I'm sure Ron intended it to be political and to, uh, to, to have a message behind the station and, and I think his mistake was that he didn't really define what he wanted out of the what, Well, as the he said, station. he was kind of naive when he was doing it at the time. He didn't expect that to happen. I think this goes into media by the people. Your your group is uh, co-opted in a ver varying degrees. Once you have so, once you were dependent on advertisers uh, to get your dollar, they can pull the plug on your group at any time. Basically, they own you when you're required, uh, kind of like we're talking about with the working class, to appeal to someone for your livelihood, 
they can control what you do by taking that away. If we were being uh, controlled by a commercial interest because they give us the money to survive, we wouldn't be able to say no to them yeah. because we would simply cease to exist if we tried. And, uh, I mean, you can listen to the Ron interview, and what he said to us during the course of that interview, we were talking about a bunch of different topics, but he was he was stressing to us the need and the importance for defining our group because I think he recognizes that as a mistake he made. He didn't really have anything it written in the structure of that, that radio station, that project, that would have prevented it from becoming what it is today if, if he would have had it defined as, a, you know, a a community station that was going to represent underrepresented voices and, uh, you know, he could have prevented this, this takeover. And uh, I, I think... I got to disagree with you a little bit. I don't think Ron put it in terms of framing the organization. He put it much more in terms of control, being able to be able to have control over the station, making sure that people with power over the group were true to the vision, but not letting people with differing vision. I mean, he he made it much more a matter of he he put it the way he put it to me in a number of conversations, and I'm sure he said it with, with the rest of us too, and at a couple of different points where he's just I never should have let those bastards get enough power within the station to purge me and yeah. purge the radical elements. Yeah, and that does sort of bring us back to my obsession with defining whether we have open membership or not. And you, you mean obsession again with in the first half of the show with the idea of consensus. I mean, the idea. If, I mean, if we have. If we allow one person with sympathies to the Democratic Party to have the same voting rights that we had and maintain a structure of consensus, would that effectively derail our ability to make full-throated critiques of the Democratic Party? Well, I, again, I think I, you know, I think that the problem with KZUM is that it wasn't really defined from the start. And I think that's why he was stressing it to us. But I think that, uh, you know, if we did allow Democratic... You know, one, of the, one of the ways that we would uh, prevent that from happening, happening is that uh, we don't have it set up in a way that certain individuals can come in, assume roles of power, and then kick someone out. You know, if, if we're having a group that is based on equality, where you know, all the decisions are made by the, by the group, I, I don't I don't see a real risk of that occurring. Where in K, KZUM it, there's a board of directors, you know, so there's there's this ability to gain power positions. And what happened is a group of individuals became powerful, and then they were able to make changes radically to the group. If I mean, here's the thing, though, you're talking about defining us as a group on a piece of paper, but I mean, I think about I mean, I think about the the tragic story of something like Animal Farm, where all the animals in the barnyard got together and yeah. they made a new list of rules, but, you know, a piece of paper can be torn up. It can, you know, words can be erased, words can be scratched out. You know, if you paint all your rules on the side of a barn, someone else can paint over them. Yeah. I mean, how do we keep the composition of the group from changing in such a way in the long term that it doesn't... I agree somewhat with what Brian was saying, uh, in what he is kind of saying indirectly, that you simply don't create positions uh, of rulership within the organization. These sort of positions where you can control who's in the group or the dialogue or how things function within the group. I think that's important that uh, individuals don't have control over how other people in the group are functioning. I think that's an important aspect. And another important aspect of is uh, who you're letting in the group and what are the qualifications for getting into the group. Yeah. I mean, um, yeah, no group. I mean, no group really has an open membership. I mean, the the NRA isn't going to let in uh, uh, people that want to abolish guns, owning guns. I mean, the Audubon Society isn't going to let in uh, avid hunters that uh, sport hunt. I mean, it, it's, it, if you define the organization. That's going to bar certain individuals with certain agendas from joining. Well, right. Basically, an open organization means that 
we let people in that meet the qualifications. I mean, uh, if if the group wasn't open, I would say that that would mean that, uh, say, we wouldn't let in people of of a certain age or some some qual uh, qualification that's not defined within our rules. So then, if there is no authority within the group, who gets to be the quality control check on the whether the new recruits meet the standard? Evidently, Brian. <laughs> I would say the whole group does. I mean, yeah, basically, I mean, we're not we're not voting on whether an individual should be able to join the group. We're, we're talking about what that individual wants to do. Um, right now, we're focusing mainly on radio. So, people that want to become involved, produce a show with us, I mean, we're going to have to look at the new show, if we're not familiar with it, have the group look at it, and then decide if this is something that meets what we're about, if it meets our uh, our goals, or our, our, uh, our defining points here. I would say when we meet new people and we're talking about organizing and working, adding new people in the group, we give them sort of a an interview and say, well, what, what would you like to do within the group? What is your interest within the group? Uh, there's sort of an assessment when you want to work with someone, you want to understand what they want to do. And this goes back to consensus. Uh, you can't really establish a consensus if you don't know where someone is coming from. And I think that's kind of a, an issue. Like we're talking about people coming into the group and having hidden agendas. I think that's just something we need to consider as a group. And I mean, th this this is a document that we're actually still working on and it's evolving. But I think a protection that... Uh, we need to consider is just to not be really vague about these points. I mean, maybe we do need to put something in about uh, this is not a, a station that uh, is going to represent party line, party politics. Um, we're talking about people making decisions. We're talking about, or, or maybe stating something. I mean, that's pretty much summarized in the participatory democracy point, but maybe putting something in there that this is not only uh, what we want for our group, this is what we want, these, these are the changes that we envision for society. I mean, th this isn't just how our, the internal workings of our group is going to run, because I think that that could be misconstrued. I think people could say, oh, I thought this was what you meant about um, the group. I think uh, Brian's somewhat right, and what maybe we need to take away from this is that we do kind of need to idiot-proof it, our standards for people, and say, uh, we're not about supporting candidates, we're not about, uh, I don't know what other points we address, mm -hmm. there's, there's a, a, we're not about uh, those sort of liberal politics. It's not, it's not authoritarian to have ideological requirements. I think, I think... You know, we're, we're always using jargon that a lot of people might not be familiar with, and I think that we should, again, kind of be more clear. Um, when you say liberal, people might be confused because they're probably saying, well, these these guys seem pretty liberal. They seem like they're they're talking about a lot of things that, that uh, you know, if you're, if you're talking about um, equality and, and uh, labor rights and and uh, equal equal opportunities, and uh, people might be confused and say, well, that sounds like what a liberal would say, but I think we need to define how, we, how we're different from a liberal or liberal belief. I'm kind of I'm confused here a little bit. I mean, somebody in the first 10 minutes or so was saying something about, I mean, how we don't, how we're not interested in establishing sort of an, an orthodoxy and thought within the group, but at the same time we're also talking about certain ideological qualifications for membership. So, how I, do you re how do you reconcile those those two statements? I'm not talking about qualifications for membership. I I think that I, I stated it before, but I I don't think we're talking about barring individuals. I think we're talking about barring certain, uh, like, let's say someone approached us and, you know, they're they're a Democratic Party or a Republican Party person 
Let, let's be honest, Democratic Party. We don't have to. We don't have to be worrying about many Republican <laughs> infiltrators. It's well, the Democratic let's say Party that we really need. Libertarian Party too. Uh, but anyways, they approach us. They want to do a show. We're not going to ban that person from from helping out, from joining, being a part of the group, just based on their affiliation with this party. But we will, I would say, not give them airtime if they produce a show that's blah, 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 vote for Barack Obama, vote for Ron Paul. Uh, This party is the, the true party that will save us all. This party's going to be the answer to all of our problems. Like, there's plenty of that. Our, our station exists to give a voice to the voiceless, to give a voice to the people that are, are disillusioned, to the people that uh, are, are, you know, just completely dissatisfied with politics because... Thank you, you've made that point. Andrew wanted to get I, it too. I think we need to go back to Jackson's question, which uh, I think the answer is that we want this group to be non-authoritarian. So you do have to uh, bar authoritarian con- ideological aspects when you're letting people in because, no, we do not want anyone to come into the group and try to take control or impose their standards and change the group to fit it. We do want a sense of consensus, and a lot of times you really just do have to get an idea of of uh, what a person is like, people aren't going to come out and say, I'm an authoritarian and I want to take control. Like I said, that is... Um, well, there are very few people, out. there are very few people who even adhere to those politics completely and sincerely who would even use such terms. Those are rather pejorative. That's, that's what I'm saying. I mean, people just aren't going to come out and say that they have a dictatorial nature in, in plain terms. So you really do have to, uh, like I said, get a sense of where people are coming from and what they want to accomplish. But you're, I mean, it's it's sort of the cliche about democracy. The great thing about democracy is that everyone gets a say and everyone has a chance. And the awful thing about democracy is that everyone has a say and everybody gets a chance. (laughs) So how, how do we, how do we encourage a diversity of ideas within the group while at the same time trying to protect our ass against ideas we don't really care for very much. Well, I would say that, um, you know, this is how we protect our ass. We define ourselves from the start, and, you know, this is our organization. If you agree with these points, if you agree with with uh, what we're, we're trying to do, then welcome aboard. But, um, I mean, the, the main thing that we can do to, uh, there's always the ability for people to say, you know, I, I can come in and, and still be, uh, I don't know what I'm trying to say. Are you trying to say that someone can come in, agree to these, say that they'll, uh, abide by this and attempt to fundamentally change the group over yeah. time. Yeah, but as, as long as, you know, our, our the way we define our group and our intent, as long as it's not incredibly vague, we should be able to have that as a protection. I mean, that's the whole point of this this document, is to protect us from subversion. Well, just, from I, want, I want to come at this in a slightly different way, and I'm trying to think long-term about this here. I mean, suppose we have someone who is just, you know, just, just your archetypical anarchist and is just with us 100% on all of this stuff today. But at some point, two, three, five years down the road, this person was to have a crash and burn and decided to adopt a more... Mm, Mainstream? Grown-up grown up. political attitude. There's a lot of people who are radical in their youth and then they grow up and vote Democrat the rest of their lives... I mean, how how do we deal with someone like this, who is a full, who could be a full fledged member of the group with many years of experience, and suddenly takes a a hard right turn into hackery for the Democratic Party? I imagine that they would leave the group. I mean, yeah. Why, why, I mean, why, why do, do you think around? do you think they would stick around in that case, or? or I mean, I, I guess you could make the argument that they would sort of try to use the organization for their advantage if in, in that case. But 
I don't know. Well, what do you think? You're sort, of, you're sort of taking this attitude, though, that they, they're going to have inherently the, the idea that someone who would be a hack for the Democratic Party would seize our airwaves very cynically and very consciously for the purpose of, I'm going to co-opt this source and turn it into a Democratic Party thing. It's not really like that for, for these people, though. It's more like, I'm just thinking rationally, I'm thinking pragmatically, and this is what needs to be done in order for these changes to be accomplished. And I think uh, an important issue is here, it's not a a um, complete 180. People are, are coming to this position over time. They're changing different ideas, and people don't, all of a sudden, tomorrow they're affiliating with the Democratic Party and pushing the agenda. It's something that happens over time. People will say, well, I guess my politics aren't going to work, and I have to change things. So uh, it's it's a gradual thing, and I think that's kind of what's insidious about it. I don't know that it necessarily is that gradual all the time, especially especially being on the cusp of the college campus and seeing a lot of these kids mutate politically very quickly. And invariably, by the nature of our group, I think we're going to attract a lot of young people, and we do have to be concerned about people who may not be particularly, well, stable in this particular instance. I mean, how, how do we deal with something like this? What do you think, Jackson? How do you answer your own questions? I don't, I don't really have answers. That's why these the questions is, bother me so much. Well, the thing is, they bother me too, but honestly, I actually don't have... I have very little to say about this whole topic of discussion because I'm... Uh, these are sort of the more the more organizational sort of activist side of Lunk, which I'm I'm not really a part of, and and you know I'll, I'll I I only have my own sort of personal requirements for who I deal with, and so I mean really honestly I don't I don't have enough of an investment in Lunk that if somebody if somebody tried to come in and subvert it I would. I, I, I mean, I would myself just leave the group then and, <laughs> and just let them fucking have it. <laughs> Start a new one. Because yeah. I'm, really, I'm not really an activist. I mean, you're, you guys are the activists, and you're the ones trying to like change the world and all that. And Well, the issue is that if, if someone at this point came in and tried to do that, we'd just walk away. There's really nothing something someone can accomplish. As long as uh, anyone in the group that wants to subvert what we're trying to accomplish is such a minority, it's really irrelevant as long as they have no power. I mean, I've never really heard of something like that occurring mm. with, uh, you know, anarchist groups. I've never mm. heard of, like, an attempt to take over from within and restructure the organization. I mean... Well, a lot of these groups fizzle out in six months to a year, though, or they mutate yeah. into a different group. I mean, we're, we're talking about trying to build something more long-term, something... I mean, the, the KZUM analogies, I think, are very important for us because this is, in many respects, a reboot of the KZUM vision. It's this sort of KZUM 2009. Well, I think... Well, KZUM, you know, this this station... And this should also possibly be another point, is that, uh, you know, we're not just a music station, we're not a sports station, we want to be an inherently political station, and I don't know if that's something that KZM uh, started out with as one of their core points uh, of wanting to be a, a, a political station. I mean, they there's the arts and the music and and things like that, and it's just kind of open to for anyone in the community to use as they would like. And um, you know, if it would have been defined more rigidly to begin with, I think that uh, you know, could have prevented it from becoming um, what it is today. So. I do think uh, we really can ward off, in a sense, people that would want to join the group and think that they can change it so dramatically by saying we're against that. But like Jackson said, people who come into the group, and that's not what they're planning on doing, they just sort of change over time, even if it's somewhat abrupt, that's really the issue there. 
or people that would mask their own agenda I mean, between those two. Really, I mean, we, we strive to be a, a group that is mainly about politics, and I think that anyone that comes to us should know that. And I think that, uh, you know, even if it's music that you're playing, it should somehow uh, be tied into our, our message, our political message uh, of uh, revolutionary change in, in society. Well, that's really a subject for another day. I mean, we're, we're already actually down to about a minute here. And, um... Final points? Final points, anyone? Liberals can rot in hell. <laughs> <laughs> we're gonna... I, well, we, we didn't really talk about uh, the freedom from tyranny point. Um, one of our last points that we have on here that we didn't really discuss yet so far was the freedom from tyranny. And in that point, we, we outlined that uh, social policies and laws should be free from the influence of religion, corporations, and the wealthy or powerful. Basically, freedom from uh, what we see influencing our, the world that we live in right now. I mean, we see that these people with lots of money, these, these corporations and, and religious groups that have um, all sorts of, of manpower and, and uh, resources, they can they can change our society, they can uh, elect representatives, they can get representatives elected, and they can have a lot of influence, more than they should, on the decisions that are made the, that, that are made that concern all of us. Well, this goes back to class society, I think, that these people in positions of authority and power have uh, controls over resources and the conditions that people live under. So they're going to inherently have the sort of ability to pressure people and control the situations. How does that relate to running the group specifically? Well, I mean, that one's an, another one that's, uh, you know, with all of these, I think that they relate not only to the group, but uh, to society. But I think uh, within the group, um, for instance, religion religion is a is a something that can um, bring people together and and uh, be a a type of common these people that are brought together will often have common goals and uh, you know we wouldn't want this secular organization which is neutral to religion to be co-opted by r religious concerns, religious views, I guess. The interests of religious organizations. Yeah. We don't, we don't want to fundamentally change what our group is about, again. I think that, uh, you know, we, we may run into some conflict with uh, the idea of liberation theology. I mean, what do you guys feel about that? Like that... Uh, you know, you could ha you could come from a really leftist perspective, but still have uh, religious belief. And if we want to maintain a, a sort of secular organization, what, I mean, what would be thoughts on that? Well, I think it's similar to the whole advertisement thing. I wouldn't want someone advertising their religion uh, within uh, the sanction of the group. I don't want that yeah. to be an issue. I think uh, people can have their own personal beliefs and that's fine but that's not what the group is about like would we would we be you know a leftist that draws a lot of their their inspiration for social change from uh, from the teachings of Jesus would we would we be okay with a show about Jesus's teachings or would we feel that that would be I mean personally I feel that that would probably be um, divisive and maybe send out the wrong message. I mean, it could go for a lot of other religions yeah. too. I mean, I mean, you invariably end up drawing Islam into the conversation if you want to talk about, you know, the mistreatment of, of Middle Eastern people in this country. And obviously, we have quite a few of them from Iraq, from Afghanistan, from Sudan here in Lincoln, large mm -hmm. refugee communities. 
I mean, I mean, you know, in a more general way, too, I mean, you can also come across, I mean, there's also this kind of sort of neo-pagan, neo-Wiccan thing, which is very popular among environmentalists and feminists, it seems. Yeah. And we don't necessarily want a bunch of, we don't necessarily want a program of sort of prayers to the moon goddess, do we? <laughs> no. I wouldn't think so. I think, that, you know... Maybe that's something that needs to be further defined is the secular nature of the organization. I, I, I don't think that we need to be um, hostile to religious belief necessarily, but we can we can state that uh, we're, we're going to we're not going to promote religion on on the air. We're not going to give any time to promoting religious belief. I mean, is there is there a contradiction here at some point? Though? I mean. A station like KZUM does tend to pick up. I think there is an, maybe some sort of Arabic or Muslim show and possibly some sort of dirt worshiper yeah. show. I mean, these are essentially perspectives that are marginalized, and that's what we're supposed to be doing is giving a voice to the marginalized. There's, they certain, there certainly isn't a plethora of low-power... Wiccan radio stations or low power Muslim stations like there are Christian fundamentalist stations. Yeah, but I think that um, yeah, part of our mission is to give a voice to people that are really underrepresented. But if we were to allow a show, you know, about Islam on, uh, it's really going against a lot of what we stand for. I mean, right here in, in this point that we. We've talked about it, freedom from tyranny. We're talking about uh, being free from the influence of religion. And well, I think that's a semantic point we may have to save yeah. for a later day about whether religion is inherently tyrannical. We are certainly out of time now. Yeah, I'd like to thank Monty who had to leave us just a few minutes ago, and Brian and Andrew. I'm Jackson, and we will see you next time. <laughs>